Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this special concert series edition of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Ken Gregory as we discuss our very recent experience seeing John Anderson. Was that not was that not a fun show? Wonderful. So um, yeah, so here we are on the the very tail end of the sixth of April, having just seen John Anderson at the Scottish Rite Auditorium, I believe it's called Collingswood, New Jersey. In, yes, in Collingswood, New Jersey. It was it was a very very interesting venue. Very cool. A Masonic temple. It was something. A previous Masonic temple. I. I I can't speak to that. I just know it was a very, very... Uh, just The way the whole thing was configured was different, first of all. It was... I, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it, it was it was unlike any... It was even unlike any of the other old theaters that, you know, you're used to seeing shows in, like, you know, the, the Keswick, for instance. Or, it, it, or it was like more that. in the design of an outdoor amphitheater. Where yeah. It had the shell yeah. feeling. Yeah, absolutely. But it was indoor, and and it had this this beautiful wall of stained glass windows that looked mm-hmm. absolutely stunning in the sunset. And uh, I like the repetition of the stained glass. It was very geometric, yeah, rather than absolutely you know, pastoral. Yeah. And there was the, the, there was like this weird sort of orchestra pit seating, like just mm-hmm. below the stage, and yeah, that's cool. But you know, and that's the other thing. Like sometimes when you get into to theaters like this, right? Sometimes the stage seems very small and very cramped. There seemed to be plenty of room on that stage. Lend to you. <laughs> for, for a very, very large group of musicians, relatively speaking. Yeah. Was it nine voices? <laughs> it, yeah. I believe it was nine mm-hmm. voices. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight plus John is nine mm-hmm. voices. That's yeah. Well, uh-huh. I wonder if he did that on purpose. I don't know. We'll never know. But there was there was there was plenty of room, and it was it was a great show. So, you know, obviously, um, you know, we here at the Palaver have spent a lot of time in the last two years. Um, we saw Yes featuring ARW three times in 2017, I believe. We saw Yes official with Steve Howe. At least twice in 2018. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, at this point, you know, ARW has gone on hiatus and, and John has just released 1000 Hands Chapter One, an album apparently almost 30 years in the making. Um, after, you know, tapes sat for 20 odd years in his garage. I love that story. I think it's fantastic. And so, you know, John's like, hey, I'm going to go do my thing. And so he puts together a band and heads out on, on the road. And, you know, for for us here at the Palaver, I, I was very interested as soon as I saw this. In fact, I, I believe I had suggested originally that you and I would like go to some weird like Illinois or mm. Wisconsin or something. Because in the very beginning, he'd only released like two or three dates. 
And we've yet to meet you halfway. Yeah. <laughs> we've come to see you from Marillion, and you've come to see us, but we've never met halfway. So eventually the rest of the tour came out, and here was this show in Collingswood, so we're like, you know, but but as soon as I knew John was touring, there was there was something about the experiences that I've had over the last several years doing the palaver and, you know, talking about the different forms of yes and this, that, and the other thing, I wanted to see John Anderson on his own. I wanted to see what he was going to do. And I was not in any way, shape, or form disappointed. It was, it was, it was way better than I could have honestly hoped for. It was so, so enjoyable. And, you know, you did get, like, just the right amount of John goofiness, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's like, because right. you want some of that. And and he actually held off for quite some time before he really let all that out tonight. But uh yeah, I'm you know, I'm 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 definitely in a very positive frame of mind after that show. There's it's yeah, hard not to be. It, it is hard not to be. Yeah. He's ethereal, he's prophetic, he's got that vibe and he he, dri he dribbles it on just lightly in the beginning. Maybe comes on a little heavier at the end. <laughs> a little, little bit. Yeah. I, you know, he, he informed us all that apparently in January we had moved on to the next level of consciousness. The red moon. The red moon brought in the, the next level of consciousness. It takes time. He didn't hit us over the head with it that. Takes he brought us time. to that point. He, he, he uh, did. Yeah. But, you know, I'm glad I know now because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know before. So now maybe I can, I can be part of that. We can only hope. So, uh, yeah, you know, and there there are a couple of different aspects to this that we can we can talk about. Obviously, you know, we have to talk about the performances and the songs. But do we want to do do we want to deal with the band first, or just sort of touch on that as it comes along? Oh yeah, first. I, I feel like maybe we should at least run through the players. And, you know, I, I think there are certain songs where certain individuals will sort of come into focus. Yeah, in the Palaver, we take for granted that we know the members of the bands that we review. But in this case, uh, there's such a large team. They are new to the prog rock world, and they deserve uh, to be heard. Yeah. So the, uh, the keyboardist... And musical director is one Michael Franklin. Mm -hmm. Now, Michael, you know, I, I I went and tried to look up some stuff. Michael's got a bit of a resume on him. So besides, among other things, um, working for Wolfman Jack on his TV show. Nice. Um, he also has credits with producing... Both Rick Wakeman and Patrick Moraz. Oh. <laughs> so. Wow. So he's got that going on for him. And he, he was nominated for a Grammy in 1982, apparently. I would say that it's interesting managing Rick Wakeman in any capacity because he's an island unto himself. But the same could be said for Patrick Moran. <laughs> he's a handful. Absolutely. So, you know, apparently he's got some chops with that. His his brother, Tim Franklin, was playing bass. And he had 
you know, he had normal bases. Oh, he had. Oh, I want that upright. It's like <laughs> that upright was sweet. I don't know who makes that. It's a half upright, and it has the perfect sound for live amplification. It's so and I. And I've been following these, no, like, yeah, like fretless stick bases, bases well, mounted on a stick. It was I big... remember from back when we went to the the, the yeah. jazz workshop thing back when we were in college, and that guy you the worked KYDD with, KYDD bases, yeah, kid bases, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so in in the '90s, we did have fantastic electric versions slimmed down of acoustic bases, and 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 this maybe swings the pendulum back towards the acoustic side a bit more. Yeah, but it's a beautiful instrument. He was uh, he was pretty fun to watch. He did a, he did a really good job. And then um, Matt Brown was playing drums. Oh, oh, wow. How do you feel about Matt Brown, Ken? Well, I mean, we should share with the Flavor community, the opening band was the Paul Green Rock Academy. Oh, yes. So, so we had some... Fantastic energy and 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 you know drums, bass, guitars. These kids were blowing us away. Very very energetic vocals. Kids were fantastic, but it was night and day between the teenage drummer and Matt Brown. It's like oh my god, come oh, to yeah. church, learn from Matt. Absolutely, know? yeah. You know, and and that's true about those kids. You know, and. and that's, I, I would imagine, that's got to be a little nerve-wracking for them, you know, to go from, you know, being in the, what what's the academy? You know, uh, Paul Green. Paul, Paul Green, yeah, yeah. 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 So I rented rehearsal space from Paul Green in the late 90s, and uh, he's a pure joy. He was the inspiration for the Jack Black character in School of Rock. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. But but I mean, imagine these kids. You know, they go from, you know, practicing and whatever in their in their their school environment, and here they are put in front of however many people. You know, opening up for for John Anderson. They were and, great, and, and it was it was a it was quite the production, right? Every song, like three people or more, would switch out instruments. Yeah, yeah. It, it was amazing. I mean, back in the day, you could go to South Philly, and I saw. The Frank Zappa show of Paul Green School of Rock. Really? And I want to say The Who or Tommy or something like that. Wow. Um, and, and you know, you, you would have the parents just hollering for their kids. And it was just, and the parents would show up in the three-quarter sleeve rock t-shirts and everything. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. It was my, my element, my people, and just beautiful. And... Uh, and, and, and just, uh, I guess Paul Green sold the, the rights to the School of Rock, but started his own Paul Green Rock Academy. That's cool. You were excited to see uh, Tommy Calton, is that how I say his name? Calton. Calton. Yes, yes. yes. On, on guitar. Oh, brilliant work, that guy. You know, anytime you got someone interpreting some Steve Howe, it gives you something to look forward to. Because... You know, for me, I'm I'm always fascinated to see how people address that because we we've had this conversation on the palaver before. Steve Howe is a singular entity, <laughs> so so how people approach right. translating that is it it's always something to watch. 
I would say that Tommy Calton is more fingers than Steve Howe. And you're saying, but Steve Howe <laughs> plays Clap. Like, how can someone be more? Well, I mean, Clap is actually largely pick. And it's just beautiful to see what Tommy does with, with fingers. He's more of a country Americana vibe, but he's flicking his fingers in a slightly flamenco vibe. He's got some chops to behold. Yeah. Violin. Um, now, again, it's it's interesting. We've had some conversations sort of offline about violin parts on 1,000 hands mm -hmm. because, you know... There was one song in particular, um, Twice in a Lifetime, that grabbed my attention right away. It has a beautiful, beautiful um, violin part. And I had asked, I, you know, I, I, I had seen a list of musicians who appeared on it, and so I just naturally assumed that it was Jean-Luc Ponty, because sure. you hear a violin, you, John Anderson, you think Jean-Luc Ponty. And then I went and I did some, some more researching, and apparently Robbie Steinhardt, formerly of Kansas, also credited on this album mm. and then i look further and there's like two or three other violinists credited so oh, um, i saw i saw a piece with tom brislin on i mean irrelevant i'm just oh, tom brislin's always wrong oh my god <laughs> <laughs> we need to get tom brislin on, on the palaver i want to talk to tom brislin he is so good have you seen the latest kansas clip i haven't no oh joe you have to see that oh awesome okay um but getting back on track yeah we actually have an in with kansas we must. We must. Well, we do. Yeah. <laughs> so we're we're going to work on that. Um, but I, I I would like to uh, to talk with Tom Brislin after our experience last year, um, and I do think I don't know if anyone out there knows who plays the uh, the the violin lead part on Twice in a Lifetime. I think it's Robbie Steinhardt, based on some of the other parts that I hear in other songs that you know, I think would be more Jean-Luc Ponty. Mm. I, I know more about Robbie Steinhardt's playing than I knew about Jean-Luc, so that's why I think that. But if anyone knows, please tell me. But anyway, tonight, only one violinist, and it was Jocelyn Chu, I believe is how we say her name. Jocelyn Chu. Very, very talented. And uh, just as expressive as everyone else on the stage. Yeah. Uh, th there's the stereotype of the string player who is whatever, just kind of removed from it. I mean, she sang, she danced, she played frigging, uh, what was that, ukulele? She was on the ukulele. It I, was a party, it was great. It, it really was. I found, and, and we'll get into it, I I believe it was Yours Is No Disgrace, like the second song they did, where it, like, it, it was different hearing a, a female voice singing you know, one of these Yes songs. I was like, whoa, cool. I liked it. We had Broadway level vocals. We had Vegas level vocals. We had Epcot Center level vocals. We had one of the most orchestrated yes performances I have ever seen. And it, it it's good. Yeah. Someone's going to tell you it's stale. Don't listen to that person. <laughs> It was alive, it was beautiful, it was planned, it was personal, it was everything. It really was. We had a percussionist, perfect name for percussionist, Steady Joseph. Oh, 
Can... You got to the name before you. <laughs> well, there's, I don't know that there's much steady about me, but um, very, very cool. Uh, local boy, um, jack of all trades, Joe Casas. Whoa, 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 steady oh. Joseph. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, um, you've got Matt Brown on the left. You've got steady Joseph on the right. And steady Joseph is not a percussionist taking a back seat. I mean, there are several tracks. I mean, I mean, given the nature of the way John Anderson writes and scores his music, you've got that world music, you know, just kind of driving rhythm always happening. And, and, and steady Joseph was, was starting more songs than he was, you know, than Matt sometimes. It was, it was absolutely beautiful. There's a there's a period, and, and I know I've been tubes fixated recently, mm-hmm. but there's a period in the tubes where after for their third album, they and the, the subsequent tour, they brought in a percussionist, Mingo Lewis, in addition to Prairie Prince, in addition to the two keyboardists, the two guitarists, the bass drummer, Fee, and a backup singer or two. <laughs> And and let me tell you that that Mingo Lewis was as front and center as Steady Joseph was tonight, and um, you know so the, the the Tube's first live album, What Do You Want from Live, was recorded in London. I believe it was England somewhere, and it it, it was very similar in feel to this when when you've got you know both a drummer and a percussionist really sharing the same level of of emphasis in the music and so i i, I kind of kept coming back to that as we were going through this but I, I thought he was really good especially you know as good as he was regularly i thought when they did the acoustic part of the the start of the second set yes yes oh man he fucking floored yep. me on that one um if you were born in the 70s like us or in the 60s, it was the promise of electronics mixed with acoustics. And we've been trying to find this balance. And it's just so nice that we've kind of arrived at this point where the pads mixed with the cymbals, mixed with the congas, is all one unit now. And you don't care if it's electronic. You don't care if it's acoustic. And Steady Joseph, he just liberally bounce between the two and that was the beauty of it all just yeah it's samples yeah it's symbols yeah it's congas and he had it all in a smooth kind of pastiche it was great right and, and if you can if you can operate across those different platforms seamlessly it shouldn't matter exactly. and in his case i don't think it does yeah yeah so he was he was definitely a very welcome addition. So going back to local boy Joe Casas, Jack of all trades. Yeah, apparently he is Philly origins because there were people in the audience clapping for him like mad. They went crazy for him. I went crazy for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, trombone, keyboards, ukulele, and. Uh, Three other things I forget. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and you know, I don't. A lot of times when you have sort of the utility player like that, they're sort of in the back of the stage, and you don't really notice them. 
A lot, you know. I, I think um, there were there were a couple of there was at least one guy like that in Jeff Lynne's ELO, and it was like you know, yeah, mm. well, that guy's over there doing whatever. But but Joe Costas is like you know ripping out Rick Wakeman keyboard lines and stuff, and he had a flourish <laughs> about his technique, didn't <laughs> he? He? D- he did. And and hats off to Mike Franklin for letting Joe do that right because no doubt mike had the chops and he could have done it all right but he's a very judicious and fair band leader and he absolutely yeah yeah and and there was there was one part i think it was and we'll we can get to this it was in make me happy when joe was on the trombone and so he came down from the riser to stand next to you know, horn player extraordinaire Billy Meathers. Billy. We have a new Billy. We have a new Billy. And uh, <laughs> there's only one Billy. There's only one Billy. Uh, but, you know, when he was playing, you know, side by side with Billy, those two were having a freaking blast. And it was fun to watch. Absolutely just a joy. Trombone, baritone sax. What a beautiful combination. Yep. Mm-hmm. So well, Billy was primarily on the soprano, which is gorgeous. He he made it sound like an oboe half the time. Yeah, he he really did. He played in the low register. I, I and there was there was something about the visual early on in the show when he's got he's got the was it a, a baritone strapped to him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's holding the soprano mm-hmm. over it. <laughs> and just, yeah, yeah. It, it was yeah. you know I, I don't know it was it, it's absolutely stupid how sort of stressed out that made me but it was (laughs) i I couldn't take my eyes off it for the longest time but uh yeah so he you know he played the the different saxophones and he played flute um which you know i there were there were some places where i maybe would have questioned the particular flute line that they put in there but you know I, I'm not really one to quibble at this point. If 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 John and and Mike Franklin want to do it their way, then they should do it their way. I like those parts. Um, you can actually follow a couple of these guys, and you can follow Joe on Facebook. So, um, fantastic musicians. Who knows what genres it'll be, but I know it will be amazing. So, here's our band. Big band. Different, you know, makeup than maybe we're used to seeing mm-hmm. um, for, for playing some of these things, but... Who was the blonde guy in the middle with all the singy stuff? Oh, John Anderson has a tremendous head of hair. <laughs> <laughs> for a man in his mid-70s, um, you know... <laughs> He looked great, didn't he? He looks great, and he sounds great. We had said this back when we saw ARW. He sounds almost better now than he did ten years ago. I don't. I don't know how he does that. I think he gained control of his environment. I think during some of the ARW years and some of the later Yes years. The volume was high and the pressure was high, and I, I, I don't think he had the freedom to be himself. <laughs> you know, he was screaming over other people. Well, I mean, it, and whatever he's doing in terms of, 
you know, diet, regimen, whatever the case may be, you know, and like I said, I, at the top of this episode, I wanted to see John on his own. I wanted to see John unleashed. And in some ways it was more reserved than I would have expected. But it, as I also said, it was still so wonderfully John. He did the John dance that we talked about. He did. <laughs> he did the John dance. You do the you do the downbeat, and then and then you kind of like pause. You float around. And you float around. <laughs> You're in the cosmos, and then you find another downbeat. He's he's a master of the John dance. Yeah, and it, it's not James Brown. It's not that constant fluid dancey thing. It's just this this you you hit it and then you breathe and then you hit it and then you breathe it's beautiful it's john i can't he's he's got this thing that really showed up a lot tonight it's it's like the john anderson interpretation of the thriller move yeah yeah yeah. where he you know he's he's kind of swinging both arms to one side that and and, and he's got sort of the claws going but it's it's a gentle claw you know yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) but it, it there, there's still he's, that sort of aggressive aspect <laughs> to it. I, he's he, he's summoning the energy in the room. Is he, that he's drawing my chi from his wonderful. <laughs> I feel it. I don't know what it is, but I feel it. <laughs> testimony. <laughs> it was, it was great, and I, you know, I, I just, I. So, you know, there's just something about John Anderson, right? You you can't help but love and respect John Anderson for all that he has done. You know, he's been a part of just some absolutely fantastic music. We've all seen him be goofy. We've talked before about the show in, I guess it was 94, 95 on the talk tour in Nashville, where he was as spacey (laughs) as we've ever seen anyone be. There are the stories that go around about, you know, John in and out of yes and who he wants to work with and who he doesn't and he seems to be a high-maintenance diva, whatever the case may be. And and, and that's all there. I love John. But, but you have to love John. Love you John. just... You have to. There's there's nothing else you can do. It, it's just... It's mind-boggling. So when I got just this week, uh, 1,000 Hands, because I wanted to at least be somewhat familiar with the songs for this show, honest to, to goodness, Ken, I was a little nervous because I I have a fair number of John Anderson records, mm-hmm. and apparently John Anderson is a workaholic, can't stop releasing records on his own when you know he's not doing whatever it is with Yes or other members of mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some of them are are really enjoyable. Some of them are completely unremarkable, and some of them are downright bad. Well, I mean, this is his best solo work, in my opinion. And maybe Elias would be second. See, I and, hate Elias, but... Well, right, we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll review it. We need Paul. We, we do. But, but I bought this album not knowing what to expect. And right out of the gate, you get sort of the... Uh, you know, the, the John vocal looping thing. And so I'm starting to break out into cold sweat, having flashbacks to, um, uh, what's the, we have heaven. 
on Fragile, oh, which which we know I don't love. <laughs> and I'm going, oh boy, here we go. But 1,000 Hands, I think, is is really, really great. I, too, think it's, it's one of the best, you know, John Anderson solo records. So I was, you know... I was even more excited for the show by the time we got here. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think, I think the songs from that album with this band, presumably he put this band together to play those songs. And I think it worked perfectly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely perfectly. And, mm -hmm. and, and while he's got this band, you know, we made the, we made the joke back on the start of the ARW shows. You know, when ARW first came into being, whenever that was, and they're like, oh, we're going to, you know, tastefully reinterpret these classic songs. And, you know, Paul jokingly, but somewhat truthfully, you know, clarified that that really means that Trevor just didn't have to play Steve Howe parts if he didn't want to. Sure, <laughs> sure, yeah. So in this particular case, I think John constructed this band to play the songs from 1,000 Hands, and at the same time, I think he was able to deliver on that promise of ARW of reinterpreting Yes Classics while maintaining true to their fundamental identity. And that's what I found so exciting about this. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not, I don't think it's a better or worse situation. I think this was, this was the way this band would, would address those songs. Yes. Yes. And I, I really enjoyed it. I really, really did. It's such classic material. And it's so with, etched in our minds that <clears throat> it has to be done with sincerity. Yeah. The, the only one I really didn't care for was the one right out of the gate. Okay. So they opened with... Owner of a Lonely Heart. Yep. Now, John's been opening with Owner of a Lonely Heart for a long time. ABWH, John would enter the arena singing Owner of a Lonely Heart. Apparently, he's done it on acoustic guitar with just himself. Correct. So, I, I, I appreciate it's a huge song. We here on the Palaver spent the better part of an hour just talking about that song. <laughs> we couldn't stop ourselves. <laughs> and, and I was, re you know, we've also talked at great length about live interpretations of that song. Basically, if Trevor Rabin isn't playing it, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to translate very well live. The striking exception there would be on the latter tour when, yes, had Steve Howe and Billy Sherwood, Billy oh, on Billy guitar, didn't hear that was one of the better live versions of Owner that I've heard. Um, so shall we just say that Owner doesn't necessarily translate to live because it's a, such a scripted and yeah. programmed track? But I, I honestly had hopes that with all of these people and you've got some guy with different horns over here and you've got some lady mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. violin over here, you've got a couple keyboardists, you've got a couple drummers. I thought we had the opportunity to get something that I don't think we got. I think it was a, 
I, I think you're you're right that Owner fundamentally is a difficult song to play live, but I think this particular version was very flat, unremarkable, and I'm glad they just got it over with at the beginning, and I could kind of put it out of my mind. Okay, how about the rendition at Trevor Horn's signature concert? Um, I haven't seen it. Oh. So I don't know. I mean, they're doing that extended intro, uh, whatever that's called. I mean, there have been energetic versions of this. And to John Anderson's credit, opening with it spares us all the, what, what, what do we call this? The Freebird ending? The whole, right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the seven minute wank fest? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It is kind of entertaining in ARW with with Rick and his cape and the keytar, there's there's something there, but it, it goes on probably at least three minutes longer than it needs to. Rick and Trevor <laughs> do a good job, but yeah, yeah, they could shave three minutes. Yeah, clearly. Um, so you know, owner is is never one of my favorites live, and it certainly was not here tonight. But you know, people love it, so that's great. And then we go into yours is no disgrace. Perfect. It really, really was, wasn't it? Joyous. It was just a celebration of all that has been yes for 50 years. And, and we already mentioned, you know, sort of the uh, the John Anderson choir here. And and so we've got, you know, suddenly we have this, this I don't want to say piercing in a bad way, but this, this very prevalent female voice in the mix that, you know, it, oh, it was... It was... Uh, how do I describe it? I just thought it was cool. It was breathtaking. It was different. It was energizing. Yes. Uh, start with the, the... You've got John. You've got Mike Franklin. And then, surprisingly, they layer in... Sometimes it's Billy when he's not playing horn. Sometimes it's Tommy... On the guitar, sometimes, and quite often, it's Tim on bass. He's got a wonderful voice, like oh, his yeah. brother. And then on top of all these males, you you have Jocelyn, and they just found the combinations that worked. It was it was a really really striking rendition. Really really liked it. And from, I think Steady Joseph sang in a few too. Honestly, I I, I yeah. couldn't see Steady Joseph from where I was very yeah. well. And Joe Casas had a mic. It, oh, yeah, yeah. They they were all. Just, yeah, I, there were there were a lot. There were nine voices. Yeah, absolutely. And and from there, you know, so we get we get Trevor Yes, we get what I'll call classic Yes, and then we go into a song from the new album. Um, Ramallah. 
love it. It's this album is, you know, one thousand hands. It's so upbeat. Mm-hmm. It's so positive. It's so reaffirming. Is that yeah? Is is that a proper word? I'll take it. And it's, you know, it's kind of nice. You know me. I'm a gloom and doom kind of guy. I once wrote a song called E Minor Death Song for crying out loud. I listened to too much Cure as a teenager. You're um, dystopian. Yeah. I, I am dystopian. And your roots, your creative roots. And it's, you know, it's it's almost uncomfortable for me to be actively happy. <laughs> but but sometimes it's it's nice. It feels good. You know, it's like I I used to joke about my uh, my teenage son being a vampire because he would never go out in the sun. You know, but sometimes you got to take him out and put him in the sun, make some vitamin D, and um, so I. I was excited to hear this song, and again, like I said, I think I think the the songs from this album were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, they 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 translated those with really great fidelity. Mm-hmm. When I met you, you were into um, the Tubes. You were into Agent Orange. Oh, Agent Orange is still good. You were into Tony Carey with Planet P, that whole dystopian space thing. Oh yeah. You were into the Fix, and they were kind of a little the Fix freaky. is dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very dark. <laughs> yeah. I I always there are certain. I think I described this on the blabber once. There are certain things I listen to, and as I listen to it, like. My brain just envisions a field of blackness with the music inside it. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's there's nothing. You don't see a studio. You don't see people. There's there's just like nothing. Fly from here was written for you. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so it's it's nice to sort of let loose and be. Hey, John's yeah. gonna make me happy. I like it. And- <laughs> And, and and this time it was not Elias of Sunhillow. It was not Elias of Sunhillow. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, and then he went into something really different. Now the the next track was um, apparently it's called State of Independence. It's a John and Vangelis track. I actually have what I think are all of the appropriate John and Vangelis recordings on vinyl. Mm-hmm. And with so much to do with the palaver and keeping up my day job. I haven't gotten to them yet. Mm-hmm. I knew that they were going to perform this song, um, and I meant to sort of get to that beforehand so I would be ready, but I, I, I didn't. So I didn't I didn't know what this song was going to be. And it's not a traditionally structured song in terms of, you know, verse, chorus, and, and an easy hook to catch on to, but it it went over really well. And it was kind of catching, wasn't it? I mean, you seemed to really respond to it. Yeah, it was a nice moment. I responded well. I admit, same as you, I'm out of my element, though. I, I don't know that I can review it. I, I, I'm experiencing something entirely new there. Yeah, we, we've listened to it. Well, we, we listened to it, obviously, in real time. We listened to it on the car ride home. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I... I didn't really know what to make of it at first, but the more I, I cogitate on it, the more I'm I'm on board, I think. And and I'm actually excited to go home and put on some John and Bengalis. Maybe maybe tomorrow while I do some chores around the house or something. I'll uh, 
I'll explore a little bit. Had Relayer been Van Gelis, I mean, that's... Can you imagine? The story of <laughs> Patrick playing Van Gelis equipment. Yeah, that's amazing. And so then we, uh, we continue with the, the happy vibe. We go into Make Me Happy, or Makes Me Happy. This was when, you know, the, the horn section just, everyone was just, mm -hmm. <laughs> apparently the second keyboardist plays trombone. What the fuck? <laughs> Why wouldn't he? <laughs> I mean, how? Okay, Joe, you're pretty good, but can you play trombone? As a matter of fact, John, yes, I can. <laughs> you're hired. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> But it was, it was just, it's so unabashed. It's, you know, it, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing coy about it. There's, there, it's, it's so refreshing. It really, really was. And, and again, when I heard, when I first heard the song title, even, I was like, oh, good Lord, for all the reasons we just spoke of. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's just, it's good. It's fun. It's, it's enjoyable. It's so a, it's execution. It, it's it's the whimsy and the spirit of John with the solid execution. You get those two things in the right blend. It just works. You know, and and he was. You know, when we talk about this, he seemed to really enjoy himself. This show, exactly. This this group, because this was this was John's thing. There was a little bit of tension when we saw ARW. They're doing Awaken. They're going deep. They're yeah. going dark. Well, and they're making Awaken dark. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 yeah. And he's got the harp, you know? Yeah. He didn't have the harp this time. He just there's, had... There's no harp. I got to say, that was the best tambourine work I've seen from John. So... He, he stepped up his tambourine game this time around. And and he only, he only played the tambourine for like the first, what, Five, six songs, I think. But he did it like right on the money. Well, and, and that that's the thing, right? So that that was the I guess the surprising part about this show with regards to John. Because John was, again, unabashedly happy, unabashedly positive. Mm -hmm. But for the the first set, he was extraordinarily, for John Anderson, focused. Yes. In terms of, you yes. know, there, there wasn't a lot of frou-frou in between songs. Um, as you said, he was, he, he only played the tambourine, but he actually played it. He played his part. He played his part. As, yeah. You know, I mean, he was on. And yeah. then, you know, after, I guess it was probably after America, he started to loosen up a little bit. <laughs> sure, sure. And the acoustic set gave him that breathing room. Right. Yeah. And the acoustic set, he certainly went, you know, and then by that time, he was just having a grand old time. But it was, you know, in the beginning, based on what we had talked about, I was almost, I was almost like, oh, John's two on point. Where's, <laughs> you know, where's my John? Where, where are the antics, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, but he delivered. So that was great. Um, and and so from there we go into all good people and now but oh, now, now we've got a different spin a, a decidedly different spin mm -hmm. um, reggae a reggae spin on all good people um, you know if it, it's one of those things I think if you explain to people oh they're going to do a reggae all you good people you're going to be like 
you're going to be rolling your eyes in the back of your head. You really have to, I think, experience it in real time and say, you know what? I see what they did there. And that, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a great life to it. The audience really responded well to it. They really did. They, you know, I, I, there wasn't really a song tonight where the audience didn't respond very well. Mm-hmm. Old, because you know how sometimes when you go to, you know, maybe not a yes concert, but you know, someone who's been around a while, um, you know, and they've got their big hits from 25 years ago and they just put out an album last year and, you know, they, they play one of the new songs and everyone goes to the bathroom. Right. You know, there wasn't any of that no. tonight. Everyone was all in on everything. Mm-hmm. And then we got a treat. I had never seen America performed live. Can't say I ever thought that I would have. interpretation of this band was actually fairly close to the the yes interpretation you know they they instrumented it differently because they had to Mm -hmm. but it was it was like taking this group and doing a straight rendition if you will well america is live in its nature i mean um it, it just translates very well from Simon and Garfunkel to some kind of a live thing. It's got so much energy. And if you can do the complex parts, it's almost guaranteed to be a hit once it's groomed to that level. Yeah. So uh, the one that I love is, yes, proper doing it on a Fox affiliate in New York for a morning show. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Throughout uh-huh. the public. And I've seen uh, Pennsylvania's All Good People just blow me away like with that. And I think uh, Total Mass Retain brought that in recently and they're right. nailing it. And, and it's just such a great experience when you get those different rhythms and the different sections in there. And just to see John do it in his way is beautiful. And, and there was there was a little bit of a hometown vibe with the uh, counting cars on the New Jersey Turnpike. We were in New Jersey. There was a big, big response for yeah. that one. They liked that. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that was fun. So that was great. And that kind of loosened everything up. And so then they finished up the first set with one of my favorite songs from the new record, WDMCF, which mm. translates to Where Does Music Come From? Yeah. 
think this is, you know, again, I, I, it's, it's a very powerful song. I think it's, you know, again, it's got a great message and they, they did a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was, it was just kind of funny because it's like, all right, we're done with that. And then poof, they disappear for their intermission. And you're like, mm -hmm. But I'm just getting warmed up. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, it was, you know, what, a full half of the show. It was, it was probably going on 10 o'clock by the time they, they took that. It was like 9.45, something like that. It felt like they had just started. I mean, it was, it was amazing how crisp and enjoyable the first half of the show was. And then, so while we're sitting there, we 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 made a new friend. We we friend. Found, we we found a friend of the palaver <laughs> sitting right in front of us. <laughs> so so, Craig, you know, it was it was very nice to meet you. Um, you know, we have somewhat of a of a tortured history of not being great with that sort of thing. So we don't have hats. We don't have shirts. <laughs> We We're not advertising. We promised business cards. We didn't deliver. We we did not deliver business cards. But Joey, you just flapping your jaws identifies. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was funny. So yeah, that was that was kind of fun. As we were talking about our our friends in Total Mass Retain, we bonded over Total Mass Retain. Craig knew Total Mass Retain. I was talking Total Mass Retain. We bonded. It was beautiful. He said, "Oh, you're the boy." <laughs> Give that man a mug. Give that man a mug. Yeah. So, uh, Craig, reach out and we'll get you a mug. Perfect. Excellent. So we come back from the intermission into, yay, Elias of Sun Hello. No. <laughs> In all honesty, so Flight of the Flight of the Morglade is is a very short song, but I guess I. I need to, to set the stage in that they came back from the intermission into this sort of more intimate acoustic arrangement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the performers on the platforms descended from their platforms. They did. Everyone was on the same stage, much yes. closer to each other. Yeah. Um, I couldn't see Matt. All I could see was John. <laughs> like oh. Matt was totally eclipsed by John, which was a little frustrating. Um, but so they did what the first, I don't know, three, four, five songs of the second set in this acoustic setup. And it was, you know, you had said earlier that you think, you know, John's voice was made for this particular, at least currently configured. I, I'm, I'm biased. I like hearing, I suppose, like the artifacts and the authenticity of the quieter acoustic John. It's, you get a little more breath. It's beautiful. And he gets to play with dynamics a little more rather than, you know, uh, projecting over the uh, the electric instruments. Um, gorgeous. Matt Brown was on a Latin percussion beatbox. Steady Joseph, just in his maraca heaven. Uh, yeah, he really was. Yeah, yeah. And again... Um, Tim Franklin with that uh, acoustic model bass, uh, fantastic, and and, and the, the backing vocals were that much more crisp in the acoustic setting. Yeah, I mean, so "Flight of the Morglade" doesn't really float my canoe. What did you think of that being more more amenable to Elias, generally speaking? 
Yeah, Elias is an artful pastiche, and you just kind of take it in without the particulars of Prague Rock. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I view Elias as a sketch, but that's just me. Sure. The second song they did was Sweet Dreams. Now, Sweet Dreams, I thought, was a perfect choice to do in this acoustic setting. particular version I you know I just the way that you know it sort of stripped everything back and you just sort of had that melody like you said sitting out there in plain view for all to see um, and and Tim got to have some fun you know with the little bass breaks right mm, indeed which was which was very very cool so yeah it was yeah I, I wouldn't I didn't know what to expect. I didn't. I certainly didn't know to expect this acoustic set, and it was very, very cool. And I mean, "Sweet Dreams," fun song, mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. fun song. So, you know, it, it's good to see some things that maybe you wouldn't have seen otherwise. I'm always thrilled when Yes is marching and partying at the same time, and that's <laughs> that's that's the vibe I get from "Sweet Dreams." From Sweet Dreams, we went back to Elias' on Hello with To The Runner. Again, I, I, I'm i just not going to say a whole lot about it because I don't want to really crap all over everyone's Elias parade. Um, I, I didn't hate it. I just didn't think it was remarkable. It fit. It was short and sweet. And then from there, I guess they finished up I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the acoustic set with long distance runaround. said that's the only way I want to hear it was that I was did that the song say that I did say that um you know there was a moment where I questioned Mike I said Mike's not gonna have this on the on the keyboard part you know <laughs> he's no Wakeman there's no way he can do this but that wasn't like like that was ego talking that was just competition that was just some unnecessary noise 
And he nailed all these noty things that he did. And I mean, Mike Franklin, being the music director and primary keyboardist, was incredibly liberal in giving Joe Casas a lot of keyboard work as well. So it was just fantastic to see that blend. It's funny you bring that up because I had almost exactly the same feeling heading into that. I had sort of convinced myself throughout the night that Mike wasn't going to be able to pull it off, but boom, there it was. Mm -hmm. So that was, it's funny that you had that same thing, but it was, I want to say it was the vocal ending to this that really seemed to float your canoe, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that it, it was, and, and John really delivered the, the end of that song. It was... It was moving, I, yeah. you know, in in a lot of ways, you can almost take John Anderson singing classic yes songs for granted, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we've seen John Davison do it, and you know, we saw Benoit David do it, and and, and these songs are what they are, and, and you almost just don't even think about it. So again, when you when you take everything back a step and John being in this wonderful place is able to deliver that vocal melody in that way without a lot of interference. It was, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, one of the characteristics of classic. Yes. How Wakeman. Yes is doubling of parts in key places, particularly long-distance runaround. And the beauty of having extra musicians is that you can have a trio of musicians playing the same part. And it's just a known fact that in classical music and scored music, if you have two people playing something, you're going to notice the differences. As in stereo, you're perceiving one is a little faster than the other one's a little more aggressive than the other. But once you mix in a violin or a soprano sax and you get three instruments playing the same part, it starts to become unity. And I think the kind of the symbolic beauty of John Anderson bringing in multiple musicians is taking away that stereo competition of Wakeman Howe and saying, hey, we have Lots of people can do this. Right. Yeah. Everyone can come to the party. <laughs> That's great. It's beautiful. I love it. And uh, so, and I think it was at this point that, you know, everyone sort of went back to their normal stations, you know, game on. That was fun. Let's, mm -hmm. let's finish it up. And they did um, another song from the new album, Firstborn Leaders, not my favorite by any stretch of the imagination. But at this point, John had really loosened up. Mm -hmm. And so he has... <laughs> basically, he couldn't remember all the words that he had written so long ago. So he had, as he said, a cheat sheet. Mm -hmm. And he made this big, very funny production about, you know, doing this sort of mea culpa that he needed this cheat sheet and, and everything else. And, he, I mean, he... 
He referred to it several times yeah, yeah, throughout yeah. that yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I guess I, I Hey, when you never plan to do something live. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it if if you never planned to play it live, why are you playing it live? <laughs> <laughs> just asking the question. <laughs> I just yeah, I don't know. It's so weird. But then they they go to one of one of the the better songs on Thousand Hands, and that's Come Up. Mm, gorgeous, so gorgeous. Yep, great way to sort of finish it out. Um, you know, and again, the 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 band is all back at at full volume. If I you love will. the backing vocals on Come Up because I, I saw Tommy Cowton and Tim and everybody kind of. Leaning into those chorus lines, it was really nice. Yeah, it was yeah. great. And from there, they go right into Starship Trooper. Just, whew. Monumental. Monumental. Did you hear me say I never needed to see another live Starship Trooper again? <laughs> I don't know if I did hear that. And yet, I loved it. But, you know, they brought it. For all this talk about, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the reggae aspect mm-hmm. and, and the Calypso, the, breaks the Calypso and, all, 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 yeah. all this extra space and, and whatnot, man, they went, forgive the expression because it seems inappropriate for this show. They went balls to the wall on Starship mm-hmm. Trooper. Oh yeah. They went they all out. Back. Yeah. And it was phenomenal. And I will say that that is scoring and execution with um, with Mike Franklin and Tim Franklin really being disciplined in those low bass notes. Yeah. Like there was no screwing around or anything. It was about the power. Yeah. They were sustaining these badass low bass notes. And... and- you know, given everything that we had had, you didn't expect that sort of power. Heavy metal discipline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was amazing, but it was, it was great. I was like, right, right, I, right. Was, I was losing my mind at this point. These overqualified musicians are just going to rock, and they are going to do it full force. They are, and they did it fantastic. So I'm curious, because I personally got a little bit of a thrill with with Tommy Colton on the guitar breaks there in the middle. Oh yeah. It wasn't exactly Steve Howe, but it was cool as shit. It, <laughs> what he was doing. Yeah. Um yeah, he's a badass. Yeah. And, and and I think, you know, like you were talking about his fingers, right? He was doing some weird shit with his fingers during those. I love it. Yeah. And I was just I, I I didn't I didn't even know what the hell he was doing. I'm kinda watching him. <laughs> I'm like, what yeah. what did he just do? I mean, you could tell as early on as uh yours is known as Grace that he was doing a lot more fingers in places than pick and, and that came back in full force in Starship Trooper. So, you know, that was that was really, really it was it was again surprising, very gratifying, very good to see. Here's the one thing I'll point out: during the intermission, I had made mention to you that I liked the graphic they had up behind the stage during the intermission, 
I think that was about the only graphic they had up during the songs that I really, really responded to. Mm. Um, I think a lot of them seemed like, you know, if, if there is some sort of animation clip art file somewhere. I thought they were a little generic. Yeah. Okay. Um, with the exception of Starship Trooper. So Starship Trooper, they brought out some, some Roger Dean-ish. I, I couldn't quite tell if it was full-blown Roger Dean that was worked on by someone else or if it was someone trying to be Roger Dean. My guess is it was, probably was original Roger Dean source material that was manipulated, if I oh. had to guess. Okay, we'll see if he sues. Well, but, but, I mean, again, when you hear Starship Trooper and you see what appears to be Roger Dean images, your brain makes all those connections there and, you and you start getting all excited. Um, so that was, that was probably about the only time, with the exception of the intermission, excuse me, that I found the, the graphics to be really compelling in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Um, but through all this heavy metal discipline, they finished the set. Walk off stage. I thought it was consistent with the Yes ethos. I mean, having seen Yes 50, uh, the graphics are more intense on Fly From Here because they're yeah. pulling from the video and whatnot. But they're not necessarily trying to pull you into the video. Not like Stephen Wilson does. Not like Marillion does. Right. They're, they're trying to be a little more generalized with the videos. So I, I don't fault him for that. I, I mean, I, I don't fault him in the sense that I, I don't know that it was bad. It wasn't making me angry. Right, right. It just You saw room to grow in the video, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, you know, most recently, I saw Stephen Wilson. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and, he's a master of the whole... And, and, and I, I media. you know, talk about, you know, dystopian and darkness. I mean, yeah. again, Stephen Wilson closed his show, closed the show. The, the last song from the encore was The Raven That Refused to Sing, which if you haven't seen that graphic. I would leave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just. Four bars in, I would leave. <laughs> it, is, um, it is absolutely amazing. I don't want to have nightmares. So, so that's not what we got here. But they, they went off stage, and they came back for a classic Yes encore. Of course you have to play Roundabout. We already played Owner at the, at the yeah, top of the yeah, set. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we have to play Roundabout at the end of the set. Now, you know, for me, personally, and this is just a pet peeve, I personally can't stand this concept of, well, the encore has to be roundabout because it's always been roundabout since 1973. Screw you. They could have... <laughs> they could have come out and done the come up Starship Trooper as their encore, finished up with that, and I would have been like, sure, screw yeah, yeah, absolutely. But they had to do roundabout. Now, you had, you had clued me in before we went to this show, even before I got on the airplane to come to Philadelphia, yeah. you clued me in on what were there? There is a Calypso break in Roundabout. A Calypso break in Roundabout. Now, I'm already grumpy old man predisposed against Roundabout anyway. Because again, much like um, Owner of a Lonely Heart, 
It often finds itself played for minutes too long in the live setting. <laughs> and now we're going to throw a Calypso break in there. I believe I made a Tikwa joke at the time. <laughs> we don't like Tikwa. <laughs> we love to say Tikwa, but we don't like to listen to Tikwa. <laughs> but this was not Tikwa. This was roundabout with a very appropriate it rhythmic, was, rhythmic, like it was awesome. I mean, because. The existing rhythmic break in Roundabout is already world music. It's already got a lot going on. It's just punchy, and it's it's beautiful in its own way. And they just took that to another level. They really, they really went all in on it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they had the calypso break and then they went back to the song. They. They took the Calypso break. They worked it in. And, and they yeah. worked it in to, yeah. Yeah. To, to, you know, as the song comes back. So, yeah, I got no beef with that at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. It's just a running joke between my right brain and my left brain. I never need to hear another Starship Trooper. I never need to hear another Roundabout. I never hear, need but, to hear another Owner of a Lonely Heart. But, but, <laughs> but, I mean, whether it's... Uh, All Good People, or Total Mass Retain, or Yes 50, or John Anderson, or or uh, ARW. I hear them, and I start dancing, and I'm just the kid again. Did you see the guy in front of us when they started playing Roundabout? Talk about <laughs> dancing. That guy was losing his business. That's what he, we do. He was moved to another place. And, you know, while part of, you know, part of my brain is like, What's wrong with that dude? The other part is like, man, I am glad that he likes this so much. That is awesome to see. (laughs) So, you know, here again, another, you know, potentially crazy thing. You know, I hop on an airplane and I'm in Philadelphia for all of, what, 20 hours, I think? Yeah, 20 hours. Welcome. But it's totally worth it. I mean, to see to see this show with you is, uh, you know, what uh, this is what this is what living's all about, man. So, thank you to John Anderson for being John Anderson. Um, mm-hmm. We already mentioned, but it was, yeah, I believe it was right near the end of the show where he informed us that the red moon that occurred in in January brought us to the higher consciousness. Um, you know, he was doing the John and Anderson dance moves. We got a lot of the uh, the John Anderson thriller interpretation, mm-hmm. which is a, a mm-hmm. huge hit. Um, he had one one stretch there where he sort of flaked out and forgot what he was doing. He sang "Happy Birthday" to some lady in the in the audience. Yes, which was very cool. <laughs> uh, Tim, the bass player, and John, they just kind of hit the right key. I don't know if they had done this in a previous city, but they, they nailed it. Yeah, yeah. They, they were all over that. Yeah. Um, but but thanks to John for being John. He really... He, he brought a smile to my face. I, 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 I can't say other anything other than I left that show in a better place than I went. <laughs> Can I just say, like most people, like when they sing Happy Birthday, it happens like in certain keys... Where men are baritone, right? The women are women, and it, 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 I don't know if it's usually in F or G or A or somewhere in that range. But John Anderson <laughs> sings "Happy Birthday" a fifth or a sixth higher than everybody else. <laughs> it just 
And I should have known that would happen. Well, of course. <laughs> and oh, by the way, he's in his mid-70s. No big deal. He's got the range. It's, it's beautiful. He's, a, he's phenomenal. So this was a phenomenal show. If, if you have the opportunity and you're listening to this and it's, it's still you know early 2019 and you think you might want to see John Anderson, I cannot recommend enough. That you go see John Anderson. Um, this was it was it was just such an enjoyable, entertaining way to uh, to spend an evening, and it was it's just it's worth it. So, Ken, any closing thoughts on on what we saw tonight, what we experienced? John is a hardworking entertainer. He would have done this. With his old boys, he would have done it with this new crew. He would have done it with Trevor Raven. He would have done it with Wakeman. He is just dedicated, and he brings it. He loves what he does, no doubt about it. Who's ever available, who's ever game, he's he's going to bring his show. Yeah. So, you know, God bless John Anderson. So, that, uh, that will close out this special concert series edition of Progressive Palaver. If you were at the show, or if you were at another show from this tour, and you got your own thoughts or questions or comments, we welcome and uh, look forward to those. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're also welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is, as always, hosted, oh, I'm sorry, is, as always, available for download and subscription on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and um, Spotify. That's, That's new. Yeah. Relatively new. And we are hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>